banded together by a mutual yearning for the more simplistic times and random fun of the comic books of yesteryear. Alec Berry and Scott Gardner now travel back. Back to the bins! What's up, everybody? This is Back to the Bins number 11. My name is Alec Berry. And my name is Scott Gardner. And this week we are bringing you more random fun of comic book past and comic book lore. So, uh, you pretty pumped up, Scott? I am very pumped up. I'm excited. You excited? I'm really excited. <laughs> I can't sit in my seat. Alright. Well, Scott, I'm going to hand it right off to you and you can get down to your book. Alright. Well, you'd never know that I'm I'm a I'm a DC boy at heart because it seems like no. the Marvel comics just keep coming up and coming up. But here we go, another Marvel. This is going way back to September 1977. This is Nova, or you know, as the cover calls it, the Man Called Nova, number 13, cover by Ron Valadar, which is actually just a pseudonym for uh, comics great Rich Buckler. Why, why he had a pseudonym, um, I have no idea. But uh, inks on the cover by uh, Joe Sinnott. Inside, it's a story called Watch Out World, The Sandman is Back. And uh, written by Marv Wolfman, you know, Teen Titans, Crisis on Infinite Earths writer and all that. He writes a good Spider-Man, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, this this one here is very reminiscent of Spider-Man, I think. He was totally, well, I'll just say, I think he was kind of aping the Spider-Man formula, or trying to, anyway. I think he was trying very hard to make uh, Rich Rider, um, the the Peter, you know, like a space version of Peter Parker, basically, but... uh, Nice art on this one by uh, Sal Buscema. Um, Joe Sinna is the uh, is the inker on this one. Original cover price on this one thirty cents, and uh, I got. Is it, is it one of those diamond price tags? Like the uh, diamond? No, this one's not. No, this one's the the square with the right. nice nice. I don't know who the artist is, but there's a nice little box of of Nova, kind of doing the. He's got this like stance where he's he almost looks like he could be going or like no or something. I don't know. It's a cool cool picture though. Yeah, I think it was during that thirty cents period they did like they had the diamond shaped price tags and they had the square. And I think like the mm-hmm. diamond. Um, I can't remember the significance of it, but it was they're almost sort of like rare to find. Yeah. I have a couple of them, but I've got a lot of Star Wars that way where I've collected both the the squares and the diamonds and you know I I can't remember what the deal is with that. I think some of them denote reprints or something like that, but I or maybe it was direct was yeah, it, it might early, be new early stand, direct, direct newsstand. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. I I forget. I should know that too. Bad bad bad. I should know that. So we start out this issue. Oh, by the way, I got a. I, I think I paid like you know, I paid less than original cover price for this. I'm pretty sure because I found a giant run of Nova, and I mean they're they're in like unread condition almost. I mean they're beautiful shape for like a quarter. I got almost the whole series. This was a couple of years ago, and I'm just getting around to checking some of them out. But uh, start out this issue, and uh, you know, like I say, very very Peter Parker ish. Rich Rider, he's in uh, he's in the bank, and he's stressing about you know the fact that he's broke and he really doesn't have you know very much money in his account and all this, and he's worried about helping his dad with the mortgage and all. And suddenly, the Sandman wearing that goofy green outfit that he wore for a while—it's 
just a, a bizarre look for him. You know, he's not wearing the, the, the striped shirt like he wore in the Spider-Man 3 movie or anything. Yeah. He breaks in and uh, he's tearing up the place and uh, he's wanting to basically, you know, rob the bank and loot all the people that are in there. Suddenly a new crime fighter breaks in. His name is Crime Buster. And this guy looks a heck of a lot like, you know, he, he's earlier, of course, but he looks a lot to me like uh, Gangbuster. That would come along years later in uh, in Adventures of Superman, you know, post crisis. I, I think he was also created by Marv Wolfman too, if I remember correctly. So maybe maybe it's not so much of a coincidence after all. But anyway, while he's uh, battling Sandman and his goons, um, Rich Rider sneaks away and he becomes Nova. So he goes in and he's trying to fight the Sandman, and the Sandman's just mopping the floor with him. And so finally. Nova gets the idea to trap Sandman in the vacuum vault. cleaner. <laughs> that actually would have been kind of cool. <laughs> Didn't that happen to Sandman? Yeah, that was yeah. um that was his first appearance. I think oh. it was uh, Amazing number four. That's how Spider-Man defeated him. He sucked him up in a vacuum. Why didn't they do that in the Spider-Man three movie? That would have been awesome. I, it would have been awesome. He traps Sandman in the bank vault. And he figures that the the air that the uh, bank vault is airtight, which it's not. You know, Sandman just slips out through uh, some sort of uh, vent in the floor or a drain or something, and he he disappears, reassembles himself on an alleyway. And then there's a, a nice sequence where he's basically beating himself up about you know why do I suck so bad basically, <laughs> which is kind of cool. I I always thought Sandman was a cool bad guy. I didn't think he sucked, but he does you know. He doesn't ever seem to amount to much, really. You know, none of his plans ever seem to work. Uh, in the meantime, Nova and uh, Crime Buster, you know, they, they kind of, you know, become fast friends and everything. And, uh, you know, Crime Buster thanks Nova for helping him out. And he climbs a rope ladder up to this very strange contraption of his. It looks like a, one of those egg chair type of thing. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Back in like the, I don't know, it was the 60s or 70s, they used to have these big chairs that look like an egg or something. He's got one that flies, so it's a really weird looking, like, I guess it's supposed to be like his version of like the Batcopter or something, but it's just like this flying egg. It looks really bizarre. <laughs> so Nova, he's late for school. He, uh, he flies in and he joins uh, his psychology class, you know, already uh, in progress and everything. And uh, I don't really know too much about, like, his supporting cast and everything, so I was a little bit just kind of breezed through this part because it was just a lot of exposition with his friends and supporting cast and all this. So we get to, uh, you know, we go back to Sandman. He returns to his apartment, and there's a, uh, a guy with a very thick German accent waiting for him, and... uh you know, Sandman had been had been beating himself up the whole way back, you know, just really down on himself about, you know, he, nothing he ever does works out or whatever. He walks in on this guy, and right away he's wanting to pound the guy. You know, what are you doing in my apartment kind of thing? And the guy introduces himself as a, as a psychologist, and he wants to basically help Sandman figure out, you know, why is he such a loser and get him to uh, to, you know, improve himself basically. He straps him into this giant, very, very, very Kirby-esque looking machine. And it turns out that he's kind of done it under false pretenses, that he's not really so much wanting to help Sandman as he's wanting to manipulate him and, and turn Sandman's mind to his will. 
And uh, we see the scientist, he's reporting to this shadowy figure that we don't know who he is and basically telling him that, you know, he guarantees he's not going to fail. You know, he's going to to uh, turn Sandman to, you know, this guy's will and everything. We cut back to, uh, you know, later that night and uh, Rich Ryder, he's back in his Nova gear and he's kind of just sitting around and he says how bored he is and he decides to go out on patrol it's a nice scene of him zipping by the Baxter building and kind of scaring the daylights out of the thing as he's reading uh, Dracula by Bram Stoker. So I got a kick out of that. He, uh, I, like how, I like how he can get bored. Like, how do superheroes get bored? No, I mean you, he can fly and he, he lives in New York City. <laughs> just, I mean, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I know. I don't get it either. Sometimes I want to smack some of these superheroes. It's like, dude, you can fly. How how can yeah. you be bored with that? I'd never know. get bored if I could fly. But he uh, he's zipping around and he sees a guy get chucked out of a limousine, and uh, he flies down to uh, you know to check out what the situation is or whatever. And uh, the guy says, you know, hurry, you've got to stop them. Uh, they've kidnapped Doctor Takora. So you know, Nova's like, well, who is that? I don't know what's going on. And the guy says, you know, just stop him. He doesn't have time to you know to explain what's going on. So he flies off after the limousine. Great panel of Nova just coming right down on the hood of the limousine, and the driver like smashes through the windshield. It looks like he's dead. You know, it's, I mean, this would be the equivalent of like the, the limousine just running into a, a tree or a, or a telephone pole or something. You know, it's just run into this superhero, and the and the driver's just. I mean, it really looks like he's just mangled and and dead. You know, in the, in the there's all this jagged glass and everything. It's great. So you know Nova, not with a lot of a lot of regard for the safety of the of the bad guys. So another bad guy, you know, jumps out of the car. He's got a gun. He's he's pushing this scientist guy ahead of him. You know, telling uh, him to you know basically to run. And and the doctor's begging him, you know, don't make me run. I've got a bad heart. And uh, Nova rips one of the tires off this you know destroyed limousine. Chucks the tire at the bad guy, makes the bad guy fall, and, and you know he knocks himself out on the on the concrete. And it's great. He goes like chin first into the concrete, and uh, so Nova's rescued this doctor, but the doctor says basically he he doesn't know what this is all about. You know he's he's not you know particularly an important person or anything. He's here for a nuclear uh, prolifer prolifer yeah I can't even say it proliferation seminar. I cares. I can't, I can't say it. Yeah, I can't, I cares. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you know, he says, you know, he doesn't have any enemies or anything. He's just a scientist. He's not a politician. He doesn't know why these guys are coming after him. So while Nova's, you know, talking to this guy, suddenly the Sandman comes up on him from behind, clobbers him, but good. They get into a big fight. Sandman knocks him, you know, clear out into the, uh, I guess this is supposed to be the Hudson River. I don't know, one of the rivers around New York. Nova, you know, flies back out of the water. You know, it's just a big tussle between the two of them. Well, it turns out that uh, the Sandman's being totally controlled now by this this German scientist, and it was the German scientist that wanted to capture, um, or psych psychologist, I meant to say, the German psychologist. He wanted to capture this scientist guy, this Dr. Talon, whatever his name is. So, you know, he's he's used, he's manipulated Sandman to do his dirty work for him. And we go back to uh, the, the German psychologist's uh, giant laboratory, and, you know, they've got 
Nova strung up in this big elaborate, you know, Batman TV series looking death trap type of thing. And the psychologist guy, you know, he has Sandman secure the uh, captured scientist and then he has Sandman strapped back into his big mind whammy machine thing and he's doing even more manipulating on him and everything, really just totally putting Sandman completely under his power now. And then at the end of the issue, for some reason we don't know yet, he sends Sandman back out on another mission to kidnap another person, and it turns out to be one of Rich Ryder's classmates from his psychology class. And so we end the issue where, you know, Nova's helpless in this death trap and, and Sandman's reaching in through the window to grab this classmate of Rich Ryder saying, all right, punk, I'm here to get you. And nobody who tries to stop, and anybody who tries to stop me dies. And that's pretty much where we end. And, you know, it was, it was fun. It was lighthearted. It was goofy. It was more or less the kind of comics we, we said that, you know, that we wanted to talk about, but, also, I have to be brutally honest and say, I, you know, if this was what uh, Nova is is like or was like, I, I can kind of understand why maybe the characters had such a such a rough history and not really seem to, you know, have have amounted to much. And and has well, I, would, I would say that this, the current series is really really good. Oh yeah, and I, I've heard good things about that. But I, I mean, you know, prior to that, um, you know, he he's had such a spotted. History, you know, had such, uh, I don't know, maybe that's unfair, but. Well, he's kind of always been classified as like Marvel's Green Lantern in a way. So, I mean, he, he hasn't really had a great, you know, reputation from the get go. I don't know, like from what you described that issue, I think it'd be kind of, I think I'd enjoy reading it. Like, it oh, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got I, I'd actually like to read like that series. It's funny kind of, that, uh, that he's not somebody that I hold in higher regard anyway, because strangely enough, some of the first Marvel comics I can ever remember seeing as a kid, you know, beyond the, the, you know, the, the stars, you know, you know, Spider-Man and Captain America and all that. I remember going to a public library when I was a kid and they had an issue of Nova, an issue of Omega the Unknown and an issue of, I think it was Tuma Dracula or something like that. And those, for some reason, those three, I, they always stood out in my mind. I always they made such a big impression on me because I think that was the beginnings of, yeah. Like remember when you first got into comics and and you started to realize that there was like such a, a there's vast more out there, yeah. There's more than just Superman and Batman and Spider Man. You know that that there were all these you know other characters and so you know they they lived in such vast universes and there were all these other characters that you had just never seen or heard of and. and beginning to explore all that. So actually Nova would have been one of, you know, the, the first inklings of me that, wow, you know, there's, there's much more to this universe than just, you know, the, the main guys that you heard of. So I guess he should have a, a bigger spot, you know, in, in my heart, I guess, but I don't know. I just, I don't dislike him or anything. He just, he, he really does. It does seem very transparent to me that, uh, that he was intended or, or, or they were trying very hard to make him the, the space faring version of, of Spider-Man. And uh, I don't know. Somehow that just never, just never clicked with me personally. I don't know what, why that is, but anyway, it was, it was fun. I enjoyed it. 
I mean, it could it could also be you know the Spider Man model works so well you know maybe they try to cash in on that twice you know mm-hmm. uh, I don't know it sounds interesting I'd like to get in the central of Nova at some point and read it you know oh, I, I know there is of, one <laughs> yeah there is one so I will have to check that out but it doesn't sound too bad and I like <laughs> I like the Sandman at the end like all right punk I'm gonna get you that sounds hilarious <laughs> it's a great line. So what do you got? All right. I got a book. First of all, I have to thank somebody for sending it to me, uh, Mr. Matthew Burden from over in the U.K. Hello, Matt. He listens to the show. Um, he sent me this book called Crimson. It's issue number two. It's published by Wildstorm. Uh, it is cover dated June of 1998. Is this uh, got some George Perez stuff in it? Uh, no, this is written by Brian Augustin and pencils by Humberto Ramos with inks by Sandra Hope. Ah. So, uh, this is a vampire book. Uh, I, I believe it runs maybe 20-some issues, and Matt kind of described it to me as a uh, kind of like a coming-of-age tale uh, of a young kid whose name happens to be Alex. Kind of weird. Um, but his name is Alex Elder, and when we pick up in this issue... Uh, he is lying kind of in the in an alleyway as the sun starts to rise, and uh, he's kind of in denial of uh, something he's just recently undergone, which is be, uh, being transformed into a vampire. Uh, it turns out in the first issue he was attacked by a group of rogue vampires that killed his friends and uh, transformed him. And now, you know, since he's in denial, he's just lying in this alleyway as the sun's rising, and he's basically just going to let himself get killed, uh, you know. But in the nick of time, uh, this person that saved him from these rogue vampires to begin with, going by the name Echimus, uh, turns up and drags him out from the sunlight and, uh, you know, takes him into hiding. And, uh, you know, he basically tells him that, you know, you have to get over it and you have to start realizing what you are now because uh, you are, uh, he basically calls him a chosen one uh, to be kind of like the last evolution of the vampire uh, species. And he's going to play a big role in the future. So uh, this Echimus, he basically cuts himself open and gives uh, Alex his blood to kind of, like, uh, strengthen him again. And then we go to uh, Alex's family where, you know, he's disappeared. They don't know where he is. They think he's probably dead. Uh, the police are there, you know, talking to him. They're basically saying that, you know, we haven't found anything. And in this city, chances are if you haven't found anything by this time, uh, the kid's probably dead. And, you know, that's not exactly what your parents want to hear. That's harsh. <laughs> but there's this one detective who, he, you know, he doesn't want to be that cold, so he basically kind of, you know, as the other detectives walk out, and they're kind of just like, yeah, the kid's dead, whatever. It was, <laughs> probably, like, it was probably like shift change at the police department or like yeah. it's like a two-for-one sale on uh, on munchkins <laughs> at Dunkin' Donuts or something. They just don't feel like like hunting for this kid. Man, that's really that <laughs> But there is the one detective who's kind of, you know, he turns around and he's basically the parents, you know, look, I'm going to try my best to find your kid. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to just give up as easy as these guys are. Um, we go back to Alex and Echimus. And uh, Echimus has Alex, like, hovering in the air. <laughs> he's basically, like, he's like, learn to fly. And he, but he has him up in the air. And he's just, like, the kid's screaming. And then <laughs> he just kind of, like, throws him to the ground because he wants down. And, you know, he, again, he's telling him, you know, look, you have to learn how to use your powers because you are a, uh, you're going to play a special role in this bigger picture. We don't know exactly what the bigger picture is. And, uh, you know, Alex kind of gets frustrated and suddenly he just shoots flames from his hand. 
Uh, it's called fire casting. It's really not a power that's given to all vampires. It's just for him because, again, he's this chosen one. Um, from there, Alex is thrown out on the street, <laughs> and he just starts walking around. And there's this weird, like, Mexican guy that just shows up randomly. Uh, he calls him Joe. And he, this Mexican guy just throws him a cardboard box with, like, uh, leather clothes in it. And the guy just puts it on, and he looks like... And Alex just looks ridiculous in this leather getup. Looks like a porn star. And, um... <laughs> next thing we go to is where these rogue vampires that attacked Alex last issue are kind of in this bar. And they're just causing a whole bunch of ruckus. Uh, you know, messing with humans and pretty much just slaughtering them. Uh, you know, for no point whatsoever. Uh, Joe and Alex end up in this diner, and they're kind of getting food. And, um, you know, while they're sitting there, you can see them uh, right through the main window. This girl walks by uh, who knew Alex, and, you know, she knows that he's gone missing. And she kind of, for a second, looks at him and thinks, is that, oh, my God, that's him? But then she kind of just shakes it off and, like, no, nah, no, nah, you have to get over it. He's uh, he's gone. And while they're eating, um, he they order, like, a hamburger. Alex is eating it. And uh, he, he takes a bite of it, and he just spits it right out, and he's like, hey, it doesn't taste like anything, you know, because he's lost his sense of taste. But um, Joe, I guess he's a vampire as well, he uh, he basically tells him you have to bring out the memory of what a hamburger used to taste like, and that's how you'll basically get the enjoyment out of it. But it'll be like a 100 times better, so he does it, and, you know, it's like amazing for him, I guess. Uh, we go back to these rogue vampires where they're, you know, just on the streets kind of messing with people. And, uh, you know, they start chasing some, uh, one guy, there's a lonely guy kind of with like a suitcase, looks like he's middle-aged, kind of walking down the street on his way home from work, and they kind of just, you know, suddenly they're kind of tagging along and, uh, stalking him on his way home. As they walk down the street, they pass the diner that Alex and Joe are in, and Alex sees them and recognizes them, you know, those are the guys that did this to me, and so he wants revenge. So he starts chasing and taking off after them. And then the rogue vampires start, they corner the, um, the middle-aged man, and they're about ready to just, uh, you know, have their way with him. But, um, Alex shows up, and they kind of start tussling and fighting, but this, but, um, Alex can't save the middle-aged man. <laughs> he kind of gets tossed aside real quick, and then they end up, like, feasting on him. And, uh, you know, they have their little fun, and then Alex gets right back into it and fighting him. And then we're left off at the end where they have Alex pinned to the wall, and they're going in for the kill. So, that was Crimson number two. Uh, overall, I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, it's... That <laughs> was my computer. Uh, <laughs> it's not an episode of Back to the Bins without that sound in it. I, I know. What. It happens all the time. I gotta reset my screensaver or something. <laughs> tell you what. But, uh, yeah, overall, uh, the artwork, Humberto Ramos, I kind of... I don't know. It, it was a little manga-y for my taste. Uh, it's not bad. But, like, some of the chicks in it are, like, kind of really, like, muscular. And, man, eh, I'm not too crazy about that. You know, just the way the faces are stylized, I, it, it was okay. Uh, I, I could go without that. Uh, the writing, I thought the Alex character was pretty interesting. And it is a character that I, I, you know, I can definitely see growing up throughout the rest of the series. And I think the story is interesting. Uh, I'm not crazy for when it comes to, like, vampires or something like that. Uh you know, I don't think it's that interesting of a concept to me, but I thought it was played out kind of interestingly in this. Uh, again, it's it's it, reading this, it was kind of like they just gave you a small dose of the potential, uh, but you don't really get the full uh, big idea that I guess this series would play out, and which I guess that makes sense because it's only one issue and it's an early issue. Um, 
yeah, I didn't think it was bad. I thought it was pretty enjoyable. And uh, if I could ever track down more of the issues, I'd read them. It sounds interesting. I mean, I, I'm I like vampires. I like vampire characters, but unfortunately, you know, like like vampire movies, vampire comics, you know, are, are very hit and miss. You know, there's there's yeah. not a whole lot of really great ones that come to mind. Um, and it, it's strange because it seems like that's such a you know a thing that should be you would think would be fairly easy to make really enjoyable because vampires are cool, you know? I think I think it's another case of... I think vampires have been played with so much that it's kind of... I mean, you say it's simple, but I, I think it would be kind of difficult to uh, take an original spin on it, you know? Because, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's how, true. How many do, uh, times can you do the, you know, the living dead bloodsucker? Uh, you have to somehow do an original spin. I mean, one of the best vampire things I've ever read was a novel called Already Dead and it did a really interesting take on um, you know the vampire uh, concept and uh, it put them into like gangs and it turned it into this whole like street war thing it was really cool uh, also like the Blade movies I think the Blade movies really did a lot with the vampire concept I thought it worked really well in that I um, never never saw that see I, mean, I, I think my problem with the, the ones that I end up not liking are ones that do take the vampire lore and concept and try to give it some sort of unique, you know, different, you know, like if they try to modernize it too much or they try to give it yeah. like the Lost Boys treatment, you know, where it's all a bunch of, you know, punk, hip vampire, you know, there's been so mm-hmm. many movies like that. I like traditional vampires you know i mean they don't have to be dressed in in the cape and the tuxedo and you know doing the whole bella lugosi thing but i still like it where it's basically it's faithful to the lore and and the the head vampire is still very dracula ish because one of my favorite movies is uh fright night you know and the vampire in that is you know he's pretty much just a modern you know modern for that time you know this was the mid 80s you know he looks like a regular mid 80s guy but he's very regal and he's very dracula ish especially you know when when it's revealed that he is you know like this lord vampire so i I like that take and uh you know i think there's still something to be said for you know dracula era vampires too you know these vampires that you know you find out have been around for hundreds of years secretly feeding on people and, you know, moving from place to place. And I like that, too. I mean, I thought Tomb of Dracula was a great book. It's a little wordy, yeah. but it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. But I think with this, The Crimson, it, it seems like it's taking sort of like a um, an older concept, like like a, um, what am I looking for? Like a, like these vampires in this book seem like they've been around for centuries. Uh-huh. You know, it's like an old world concept, but they're kind of implementing it into you know, like the new world, like, you know, uh, yeah, it seems like it's some, some sort of like, um, cult that's been around for centuries, but it's, you know, now it's in our world. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. I I just think, I just think with vampires, you you do, I I mean, I I can see your point, but I I think you do have to take a, an original spin on it at some points too, because, you know, how many times can you do the same thing over and over? Uh, but again, I I love the character of Morbius in Spider-Man, so <laughs> and he's kind of the traditional. Uh, but you know, yeah, there's there's certain ones, there's certain comic book vampires that I have a fondness for. You know, I like Dracula 
Although uh, my favorite version of Dracula was uh, was the one that they had in the X Men. Um, it's like right around like 159 or something like that, and then he came back again in one of the annuals, like Annual Six or something like that. He was trying to seduce. Um, storm and make her like his new queen and all that. He didn't look anything like the tomb of Dracula, Dracula, but it was supposed to be the same guy, but he had like more of a, like a modernized appearance. You know, he didn't have the, the pointed ears and all that. He, you know, you know, the slicked back hair, he was more of a, I don't know. He almost looked more like Tony Stark with a goatee or something. He was, <laughs> he was really cool. I, I like that character. And then, uh, there was the eye vampire character that DC had in, I think it was House of Mystery, one of those horror books. That was a cool character. I think it was Mike Kaluta did a lot of the, I don't know if he did the interiors, but he did, uh, the covers on a lot of those issues. That, that was some good stuff too. It was like a continuing vampire saga type of thing. But I asked you about, uh, George Perez at the beginning of this because I, I had it confused. I was thinking of a book he did. I knew it had Crimson in it. It was, I think it was called Crimson Plague, which I never read, but I, I heard good things about. That's that's what I thought you might be uh, reviewing when you started, so that's why I asked you about it. But, cool. Cool. I think number 11 is in the can. We done. We done. That said, that concludes another episode of Back to the Bins. If you would like to contact the show, you can contact at backtothebins at gmail.com. All content featured in this episode is the sole property of Back to the Bins. No rebroadcast or retransmission of this content is permitted without the written consent of Back to the Bins. Back to the Bins is an Alec Berry, Scott Gardner production, copyright 2009. Please join us again next week, and we will travel back. Back to the Bins. She